Today I'm going to be speaking about the uh, foundation of Christianity, the foundation on which your life is supposed to be built. And I want to do what the Apostle Paul did in many of his writings is, he wants to say, he wants to mention the conclusion that he wants to come to and then explain it. And this is what I'm going to share today with you. At the end of the service, you'll understand that the reason, or let me put it this way, the foundation on which your life is built is the revelation that Jesus Christ conquered sin and death. Let me say that again. The foundation on which Christianity is built is the fact that Jesus has conquered sin and death and given eternal life as a free gift to man. I'm also going to talk about um, the, the wrong understanding that there is about this foundation. And the wrong understanding that people had about this foundation was simply that the uh, church is not built on that revelation of the death and the resurrection of Christ, but that the church is built on the office of the apostle and the prophet. And that is a big, big problem. And I see that going through the church. And I've, I mean, I've been part of it for a long time in my life. I remember in my dealings in, with different churches and different uh, groups inside the Pentecostal charismatic system, that a lot of people were going into an apostolic reformation wherein they came back to the office of the apostle and the prophet, which they would say, and which was wrongly understood, as the foundation from where the church must be matured by the apostle and the prophet. And that we're going to look at, and we're going to, I'm going to explain to you that that is not the job of the apostle and the prophet to mature the church, but that the apostle and the prophet were simply servants to people in the church, a gift in helping people understand what the true gospel is, what to understand that Jesus was the Christ, that they can have their own relationship with God and that God can give the increase in the church. Paul clearly said that he is nothing, Apollos is nothing, the uh, office of the apostles is not what it's all about. It is we are simply, or they were simply servants unto the church and that God actually brought the increase. So, glory to God. Let's get then right into this message. If we look at the word Christ, and, I, and we need to understand what Christ means. The word Christ does, is not the surname of Jesus. I remember I asked my mom when I was a kid, I said, Mom, is Christ the surname of Jesus? And she said, no, but <clears throat> she, she could also not explain to me what Christ meant. I thought Christ was the surname of Jesus. It's like you would find Joseph and Mary Christ, and then they had Jesus Christ. That's not what it means. The word Christ means Messiah. And Messiah meant the one, the Messiah of the Jews, were the one that they believed would lead them out of captivity, the captivity that they were under uh, with, the, the, with Rome, or whosoever would, they would be under, and then uh, be such a strong leader in the earth as a Jew that he would actually introduce the resurrection from the dead. That's what they believed. And what the Jews actually thought was 
that they as a Jewish nation would take over the earth, the world, and that God would give them the world to govern and rule, and that they would then take the commandments of the law, and through application of that law, they would bring forth a system wherein peace can be in this world, and that will all be governed by the Christ, or the Messiah. That's what it meant. So when the Jews heard that, and, and, and um, when Jesus came, and he came as the Messiah, it was difficult for them to grasp what this Messiah is all about, because everything he did contradicted what the traditional um, view was of what the Messiah would be. They thought they're going to take over the world as a Jewish nation. Meantime, uh, and they thought they will be delivered from Rome. Meantime, it wasn't what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to deliver them from the true dictator and the true uh, evil ruler, which was sin and death. And he came and he conquered sin, conquered death, and he was then the Messiah, not just of the Jews, but of anyone who would be under sin and death. And when we read Romans and we make, make a careful study of the book of Romans, we find that uh, Romans chapter 2, 3, 4, clearly, especially at the end of chapter 1, the whole of chapter 2, beginning of chapter 3, we clearly can see that all people, Jew and Gentile, all of mankind, was bound under sin. And Jesus Christ then came, and when he could break the bondage of sin over man, in him, taking all sin upon himself, and then being raised from the dead, conquering all sin, when he could do that, then he was declared, through the resurrection, as the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. <coughs> Excuse me. So when we look at the word Christ, whenever you read the word Christ in the Bible, or when we say we are in Christ, or when we talk about Christ in you, it doesn't talk just about a person. It talks about the person, Jesus, that stands in the authority wherein he exercises rulership over our sin and our death. And that's what we need to see. That is the foundation from where we will truly have life. Now, if we go to Romans chapter 8, and let me just read Romans chapter 8. I don't have it on my notes there. <clears throat> Romans 8 obviously flows out of Romans 7, wherein Paul had a very deep explanation on what is inside man should man try and find life by the law. And he basically said that there is no life in man by himself. That man was actually married to death to bring forth fruit unto death. In other words, man was united with death, and in this union with death, he was bringing forth fruit unto death, which was the, um, the fruit of the flesh, and that would lead man to absolute destruction. And then he comes and he re and, and he. He says in verse 24, Paul comes, Romans 7, 24, he says, A wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he says, Jesus, the one that was born from Mary, who then 
was manifested to be the Christ, the Messiah. In this revelation of Christ as the Messiah, we will find deliverance from the fruit of the flesh in our lives. Now let me say that again. <clears throat> Paul is coming and he's, he's saying, What shall deliver us from sin and death? What shall deliver me from this body of death, wherein the good that I want to do, I cannot do it, wherein the bad that I don't want to do, that I actually do that. Who shall deliver me from that, Paul says. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with a mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with a flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now, <clears throat> the word condemnation there doesn't mean guilty feelings for when I sin. The word condemnation there in the context of Romans 7 is there is no more death for those who are where? There is therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who in the revelation of the Messiah do not seek righteousness by the works. And this is what he says here. Who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Now, what is he saying there? Some people say that even in the original language or in the original text, that part is not in there. And I agree that part is not in there, but it is fully accurate to put it in there in the context of what Romans 7 actually teaches. So what he's saying is <coughs> that Jesus Christ, when you are in Christ and when we are in the revelation of Christ and what he has done and when we stand where we stand now in the, let me want to call it like, I don't like to use the word dispensation, but just, or let me put it, in the time of, from the resurrection until now, in this time, should we in this time not seek to walk after the flesh in the context here after the flesh is walk in the con concept of Judaism with the law of Moses seeking to have life and justification by the obedience to laws. That's what he's saying. Should we not walk in that but after the spirit, and I want to define spirit. Spirit means the power that raised Christ from the dead. In other words, those who are walking on the foundation and in the revelation of Jesus as the one that conquered our sin, conquered our death, and that the Holy Spirit raised him up in a life higher than sin, above death, and that that Spirit will raise us up. Those who believe that the Holy Spirit by His power will give a brand new life and that we don't have to try and have a life by our works. Those people, what will happen to them is, for them, there is no more a life where you are condemned to be destroyed by sin in the flesh. But what awaits you is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, as well as, in the end, the, the, the victory over physical death, wherein you will find that you will be raised from the dead. Now, let me just say something here quickly, just to, uh, <clears throat> to bring this in, and then I'll wrap up the first part of this message. When we look at the resurrection from the dead, some people say the resurrection from the dead cannot be physical. It has to be some form of a spiritual resurrection because what about people that has been uh, <clears throat> eaten by a shark, you know, uh, 500 years ago? 
how is God going to raise him up? Because he, he basically became nothing. I mean, he was uh, digested by the shark, and then eventually, you know, it, uh, it, it, he just went into nothing, into the ocean, became dust in the ocean or whatever, just into nothingness, or like the atom bomb when he, when he was just completely destroyed. I mean, how would Jesus raise that person up? Now, number one, <clears throat> when we look at the Bible, we find that the narrative from the beginning, from Genesis, what God is saying all the time, He's talking about God as the Creator. He's talking about Him as the one that made everything, that just spoke and it was. Okay? So God could actually, from absolutely nothing, from no thing in the physical at all, bring forth the whole universe. And then we find in John chapter 1, John comes and he says that this God, or this message of life, became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and this Jesus is as much creator, because God created by this word, everything. Because the message that John and Paul tries to communicate to the church is that God would eventually recreate or bring forth an immortal body even if we have died. Now, I put it this way. If God from nothing could create the universe and you present him with, a, with substance that was completely destroyed by an atom bomb, you're really giving him a lot to work with. Let me say that again. If you give God, if you say, God, from nothing you created the universe, but I've got a challenge for you. Here's a human body that was eaten by a shark and then dissolved into the waters of the ocean. Can you do something with that? That's a piece of cake to him. That's nothing to him in the sense of what he really can do. He's got a lot to work with. So when we talk about the resurrection church, let us not fall into the trap of thinking that the resurrection is going to heaven after you've died. That is not the resurrection. The resurrection is a physical resurrection. So let me wrap it up. When we talk about Christ, and I want to lay this foundation of Christ because I'm going to go now to the next passage where we're going to talk about Paul that says he laid the foundation and what that means. The foundation from where we will have eternal life is Christ, Jesus, or Jesus the Christ, the man Jesus, that then was proven to be the Messiah, that then rules and reigns over our sin and death. The one that will bring forth in our lives His life. So the, the foundation from where you can have a holy life and a righteous life is only Jesus. No man can mature you into the life of Christ because Paul clearly comes and states that the only way you can have a holy life is by the resurrection, by the Spirit. So he says, if we walk in the Spirit, what does in the Spirit mean? In the revelation that the Spirit raised Christ from the dead above sin, above death, and that this man, Jesus Christ, as a human being, has got rulership over all people's sin and all people's death, and that he made the spirit that raised him from the dead available to all people in 
the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So that we can now have a brand new life by the Holy Spirit. So if we talk about maturity and we use the fruit of the Spirit as maturity or a mature Christian life, I want to tell you that no person can lead you to maturity. No person can mature you. No apostle can mature you. The only thing that can bring maturity to a Christian's life is belief in the gospel. That's why the apostle Paul said, by this time you ought to have been teachers, but you are still in need of food uh, in, in Hebrews. That's what he said. So was it because the writer of the book of Hebrews wasn't the true apostle? Was that why they weren't matured? No, it was because they didn't want to walk on the foundation, which is Christ. That is all. So it can, and I want to say this to you, let no man say to you that he must bring you to maturity. Because that will only lead to so much manipulation, so much control and pain in your life. Another thing that we can say is, well, you know, since there are different gifts in the church, that those gifts must be developed. So it's, it's like, uh, let's say, I, I don't say I'm an apostle, but let me just use an example. Let's say I'm an apostle, and now I see there are be other people with the potential of being apostles. Then I take it upon me that uh, the good work that God has started in them, that it's my job to complete it in them. No, it doesn't work that way. It is not the job of the apostle to mature apostles. That is not the job of the apostle because what will happen is we will say that without the office of an apostle or a prophet that no man can actually come into maturity. And that without that office the church is helpless. That leads to a too big of a platform where the um, where the weakness of man's flesh can come in and manipulate and control and hurt people. And in the 23 years that I've been a part of ministries and in ministry, I have seen the hurt that it brings. And I'm preaching this to you, not because I'm against a certain preacher, but I just believe as the pastor of Dynamic Love Web Fellowship, there is a love in my heart for you, and I don't want you to live under the thing, you know, is our web church maybe not good enough because... We don't stand and make something big about the fivefold ministry or the apostles or, or the office of the apostle and the prophet. I want to say to you, you don't ever have to mention apostle and prophet or anything like that in order to have the fullness of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that there's no need for an apostle. I'm not, I'm not saying there's no need for a prophet. They're, they're part of the body and, the, and you can't, I can't say I don't need the eye, I don't need the hand. But there's a way where we can look at this which is healthy and another part is not healthy. Right. Okay, so the foundation, introduction part of this is the foundation is the foundation unto a new life, a mature life, is the spirit, the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, believed in the hearts of people where people don't walk after the law, but walk after the revelation of the brand new man. Now I want to read 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10. And um, this was written to the Corinthians, and Paul actually said that he speaks to them as children. So what we're going to look at 
is very elementary way of talking and looking at things. He says here, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds thereon. But let every man take heed on how he builds thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, so the foundation of the church in Corinth. What was the foundation of the church in Corinth? The foundation of the church in Corinth was Jesus the Christ. Okay, so the revelation was that there was a man, Jesus, whom they knew walked on the earth. And this Jesus is now the ruler that's got all authority over all sin and all death. And he is now, by his Holy Spirit, manifesting the kingdom in the earth. And he will, by the power of his Spirit, bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Amen. Isn't that absolute good news? That is good news. So, what is the foundation of the church? The Bible doesn't say, and, and we will still look at that passage, and the church is built on the foundation of the office of a, an apostle and a prophet in the local church. That is not true. It is an absolute lie, and it is leading to so much harm. It will lead to as much hurt as what any lie can lead to eventually pain, hurt, destruction in people's lives, misery, uh, division, control, manipulation, and so forth. So when we look at Paul here, he says, as a wise master builder, I came as an apostle, and he describes what the apostle does. I came and I declared Jesus as the Christ. And when I declared Jesus as the Christ, you believed that. And as you believed that, that revelation and that resurrection power started to bring forth fruit in your lives. And now we find other teachers, other people coming, and they are teaching. But they must, and this is what it says, they must take heed how they build. In other words, they must watch out what they preach. Because... There is no place wherein a new life can be built outside of Jesus as the Christ. That is what he's saying. And then he says that every man's work or every preacher, his work will be tested. And the way his work will be tested is, is it on the foundation Jesus Christ? Because if it's not on the foundation as Jesus is the Christ, or we cannot conquer our own sin by our own works and effort, or if it's, if it's not built on the foundation that the resurrection of Jesus is the power that brings forth a brand new life in me, and I cannot attain to that by my own works. If it's not built on that, you know what will take place? It will not have everlasting life, and it will fall apart and end in misery and pain. That's what's going to take place. So let us read it again. It says here, Paul in 1 Corinthians 3.10, According to the grace of God, which was given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds thereon. 
But let every man take heed how he builds thereupon. For another foundation can no man lay than that which was laid, which is Jesus Christ, which is Jesus the anointed one, or Jesus the, um, the, the one that has the rulership and the one that has come and broken the bondage of sin and death, and he is the one that has conquered my sin, conquered my death, and by his rulership, he will establish his life in me. That is what, what he calls the foundational, the foundation, the foundation on which the church in Corinth was built upon, and that is Christ. So, I've seen some pictures of, um, you know, I went online and you can do that as well. Go online and just say the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and then click on images on Google and you will see all the different pictures. And this is how it looked. Many of those pictures have Jesus as the cornerstone and then part of the foundation, the next brick in the foundation would be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Now that picture is an error because it doesn't say that the foundation is Christ and the office of the apostle and the prophet. The foundation is the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that by his resurrection brings us eternal life. And any person that would say, that the office of the apostle or the office of the prophet or the office of the pastor is part of the foundation is simply in error. It doesn't make the person bad. It doesn't make the person an evil person that God hates or anything like that. But it, all that it means is it is a lie and whatever a lie can produce is what will be produced in your life if you believe that. You will have pain. That is what, what will take place. So, again, what is the foundation? The foundation is Jesus as the Messiah. Bertie, I'm not so sure about that. Well, go and look. I think it's Matthew 16 where um, Peter comes and, and they asked him, Jesus asked, who do men say I am? And then Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then... Jesus said, Peter, on this revelation, or on this rock, on this foundation, I will build my church. And what is that foundation? The foundation that Jesus is the Christ, that we don't have to seek freedom from our sins by our willpower or by anything, but by Jesus, and that he actually brought that and that is what we find in Romans 10 so clearly, where he says, go and announce the good news. What is the good news? The good news is that Jesus conquered sin and death. Jesus, when he appeared to the apostles, what did he say? Or the disciples, he, he appeared to them and showed his hands and his side and he was resurrected. And then he said to them, go and preach the good news. What is the good news? That Jesus is the Christ. That is the foundation on which the church is built. And let us not add anything unto it. Because the moment we want to add to that foundation and say, well, Christ, the revelation as Jesus is the Christ, is not rock solid enough. 
we will add in the office of an apostle and the office of a prophet in there, you're in trouble. Now you might say, but Bertie, what is the, the, the office of the apostle and the prophet? This is how I see it. When Paul came to Corinth, what he did was, as a wise master builder, he said, well, we want to see the building of God or the church or we want to, and the right way to look at it is this way, we want, I want to see God dwell in these people. I want to see not just God dwell in them as the Holy Spirit that's with them or that kind of a thing. I want to actually see the life of God, the kindness and the goodness and the fruit of the Spirit in each one of these people unto the hope of the resurrection. That is what I want to see. And I want to see the building of God or the house of God, the, the dwelling place of God manifest in Corinth. And he knew the only thing on which that, that place where God actually dwells in people unto the manifestation of who he is can be established in a town is if he preaches a man that has conquered all their sin, conquered all their death, accepted them, loves them, and, and brings them into who he is, and that he will manifest who he is in them again. So what did Paul preach? He preached the rock. He preached Jesus the Christ. He preached, there is therefore no more condemnation unto death. And he laid the foundation of Jesus as the Messiah. And he came as a special messenger or an apostle. And that apostle laid that foundation. In other words, he preached Christ unto them. And you know what? Any person that would do that would be walking as a special messenger to those people. That is how it works. And then there were prophets and the prophet wasn't a magic anointing that needed to be in the local church. Otherwise, the church would magically not work if it's not there. The office of the, or I don't want to even say the office. It is not even called an office. Uh, the prophet, what, what, what were the prophets? Who were the prophets? The Bible says that those who prophesy are those who can take the mystery and Put that mystery into common language. When we look at prophecy, now prophets would also prophesy. Prophecy would be when somebody prays in a tongue and there's an interpretation. In other words, Paul called that prophecy. So what would prophets do? Prophets would take, the Bible says he who prays in a tongue speaks in a mystery. He would be able to take what is a mystery and the Bible says the mystery which was once hidden, which is actually Christ, <laughs> Christ in you, the hope of glory, that Christ, that, that Messiah, the fact that Jesus was the Messiah was a mystery. People that didn't understand it. They didn't understand that God had to come and save man from sin and death. They thought that God had to come and save man from the Romans or physical oppression. That is what they thought. What, what, what happened here? He comes and he says, or a prophet comes and he will say, I can prophesy or I can actually take that which is mysterious in the Old Testament prophets, which was hidden there, and I can reveal it. 
and I will speak words of edification, exhortation, and comfort to the church. So what would happen? A guy like Paul would come into a place like Corinth, and he would preach Christ unto them. And then amongst those, or from another place, people would come which would be prophetic. In other words, they would come and they would encourage the body with great words wherein this mystery is spoken of clearly, plus they had a gift of telling the future in people's lives. So here was somebody that could actually explain and teach the, the old prophets and explain those prophets revealed. You know, a prophet, if you just go and read the Greek there, it talks about somebody who can reveal the oracles of God. The oracles in the Bible talks about the writings of the old. And a prophet is somebody who can study and take Jeremiah, can take Isaiah, can take Ezekiel, and explain and reveal Christ, reveal the one who's conquered sin of man to them where they will not live by the law, law system anymore and seek freedom from their sin by obeying commandments. That's what the prophet would do. And then he, on top of that would be the gifting of telling people prophetically what can happen in their lives, words of I, would, I don't want to say words of wisdom knowledge, we can get too deep into that and argue about that, but let's say just prophetic events, futuristic things that will happen in people's lives in the here and now, next week this, or uh, like in the, in the book of Acts, they prophesied about a famine and those kind of things and people could prepare for it. Prophets could do that. And then, I also believe the prophets could say and see where the church would go. Um, you know, and prophesy about the resurrection of Christ and so forth. So, again, what was the work of the apostle? The apostle laid the foundation. Or in other words, the apostle was the guy that went to a town and just preached Christ as the one that conquered their sin and death. The prophet was somebody who would continue to elaborate on that truth, yet he had the gifting of encouraging and exhorting people. And then we would find teachers People would come and take this truth of Christ and teach it from the scriptures to people. And we would find pastors uh, uh, who would see these people that are now gathering around this truth and shepherd them and help them and encourage and make sure that they continually stay in this good news as he continues to preach the foundation Christ. So we would find evangelists, workers of miracles, and all those kind of things, and all people that are part of showing forth and manifesting and showing Christ, the Messiah, the one who's conquered sin and death, as the truth about man, so that the Spirit can manifest uh, life in people. That is what, what it means. Let me read uh, Ephesians 2.17 here. It says, and he came and preached peace unto you who were afar off, as well as to them that are nigh. And this is now basically saying that the Jews and the Gentiles were both included in Christ. For, though, for through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens 
with the saints and the household of God. Verse 20, And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, some people will say, you see, <clears throat> that passage means Jesus is the cornerstone and the apostles and the prophets is the rest of the foundation. No, it's not what it means. The narrative, the story, the analogy that he's getting to here is he's using a building, a physical building, and he's trying to explain things in the, li in the lines of a physical building. Why? Because people are too immature to simply understand the simple truth. And uh, the reason why I say that is the context of 1 Corinthians 3, where he says, I'm using this analogy of a builder and those kind of things. Why? Because you've become so dull of hearing that I actually have to come in a fleshly, materialistic way and try and explain something spiritual to you. And the sad thing is that the church uses that language and continue to live in that language and never get to the understanding of what that is all about. What it is all about, church, is Paul is coming and he's saying here that you are now not strangers, but you are fellow citizens of the household of God. He's telling the Gentiles, you don't have to go and be circumcised. You don't have to go and follow the customs of Moses to become part of the household of God. He says, you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, which I've just explained, which is Christ for all people, since all sinned, and Christ took all sin on him, everybody was included in his, in his, uh, or everybody was put under him as the Messiah of all people because he's the Messiah that rules over sin and death. It means he rules over everyone that's got sin and death. And those who accept his rulership, they find the power of that kingdom manifesting the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. And then it says here, in whom Christ is cornerstone, in whom who is also the foundation. So what he's saying is, listen, we've laid the foundation of, um, of Jesus as the Christ, and from the, and the foundation that he's referring to in Ephesians is that the Gentiles is included. The mystery is revealed. The Gentiles are included. That's the foundation whereon all this is built. That's the foundation on which this, this, the church in Ephesus was the revelation of, we are included in the Messiah. Christ is the beginning and the end. It's all about Him ruling over my sin and death. Right, so let's go to uh, verse 21. It says, In whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto the holy temple in the Lord in whom you are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So, Ephesians 2.22 says that Christ living in you bring forth His fruit. That is the building. That's how God lives in you. Right. Um, I think I'm going to end off uh, with what I want to say there. If we take... Oh, let me touch this. This is an important one. 1 Corinthians 12.28 27, 28, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular, and God has set some in the church, first to be apostles, secondary to be prophets, thirdly to be teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing and so forth. And now some come and he says, he says, you see, here we find apostles, prophets, 
apostles first, a prophet second, and that talks about an authoritative structure. No, it doesn't. It just says that apostles came first, and there were people that God sent with a special message that taught Christ. Then people came, and they were teaching further in Christ, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth. That's what it's talking about. It doesn't talk about an authority structure. As a matter of fact, if you teach verse 28 from an authority structure, I want to say to you, you are grossly misinterpreting the scripture. You are destroying the context of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 28. That is what you are doing. You are destroying all of that. So when we look at verse 28 there and it says that, and let me ex explain the context. The context was some thought that apostles are more important than prophets and that there were basically a hierarchy. And then he comes in 1 Corinthians uh, 12 and he says it doesn't work that way. Everybody is equally important. So if you use that in that context, I don't know what the motive would be for that. It is talking about the church being established inside Jesus. Glory to God. Well, church, that is what I've got on my heart for you today. Know that the only foundation wherein you can have a true life is the foundation of Christ as the foundation of no condemnation, no death, because He is the Messiah. Glory to God. Well, I trust that you guys have enjoyed this. It was a bit of a line-upon-line line teaching, and I trust that this will encourage you and keep you away from um, just things that just not simply not the truth. And uh, know that the only maturity that can be in a person is Jesus the Christ. I want to thank you so much for watching, and I want to tell you that God loves you, and He will always love you. Amen.